0: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Women's Strength Collective. Long time, no episode, long time, no speak. Um, I took the last couple of weeks off podcasting uh, just to give myself a little bit of a break and some time. I don't know if anyone else is in the same boat, but I obviously started this podcast when I was in isolation. And coming back and managing the gym and managing my own coaching business and then managing a brand as well, It is absolutely crazy, and crazy in a good way. It's definitely a blessing that everything is so busy, busy, but it's definitely been hard to prioritize everything and also sync up times with the guests that I want to have on, so I'm back today with a great episode um, but I'd love to hear from anyone who is in the same boat and how they're managing their time and prioritizing and especially prioritize with doing so many things you love. I feel like that's my problem sometimes is that I love so much of what I do and so I can't do it all and that is my biggest downfall. So please reach out if you are in the same type of space that I am because I'd love to chat about it. But today's episode is with the awesome Billy Asprey who is based down in Melbourne. We have a really casual conversation about so many different things really. We cover yoga and how it was the catalyst for Billy to start looking inward, her body image struggles growing up and when that shifted for her and how she got to enjoy her Friday nights again. I really love chatting with her and being able to witness as an outsider the amount of physical and emotional change that has occurred for her over the past five years, which was the time where I started following her on Instagram. If you put her life so far down on paper, you could almost believe it's a different person for each chapter when you consider how much she's done. And I so appreciate her being open and honest in this episode and breaking it all down for us. You can find Billy's Instagram handle in the show notes as well as her website and you can find me on Instagram on the show notes too. I hope you all enjoy today's episode. It's a bit of a different vibe and also a change of pace. Welcome Billy, to the podcast. Thank you for having me. (laughs) I'm really happy to have you on and I'm excited to be chatting to you because I think, when did I first learn about you? I think it was probably 2015. Yeah. It would have been the, probably the first year that I was also in powerlifting, and you were really heavily involved in powerlifting too, and still are. But if you want to give everyone a bit of a background about who you are and what you do, yeah,
1: all right. Um, I guess first and foremost, I'm a PT and powerlifting coach. I work out of the Strength Fortress in Melbourne. So I've obviously, as you said, I've been involved in powerlifting for about the last five years. And I would say like more heavily early on as an athlete, but I guess more so coaching and administrative now. I do still do a lot of work in sort of the nutrition space, particularly around like reconciling training and nutrition for like body composition, health and performance outcomes, and making sure that I guess it's like a psychologically healthy endeavor. Um, And then I teach yoga on the side, which is like a nice change of pace from a grungy gym environment.
0: I have so many, when I sent you the list of things that I wanted to cover, I feel like there were just so many different angles on there. I was like, yoga, lifting, and then like nutrition, like so many things, because you have had just so many different experiences since you started in, I guess, the fitness space initially, because when you first got into it, right, were you into, it was running at 15, yeah?
1: Yeah, that's right. I say, I often say that, like, I feel like I've lived like a hundred different lifetimes, I've moved around a lot and I feel like each physical space I've lived in has like encapsulated a really different chapter in like, not just like my living conditions and my career, but like my involvement in the industry and stuff as well. Like it's changed a lot. Um, but yeah, I started in running when I was yeah younger, like 15. And I was yeah really involved for about four or so years then. And that sort of overflowed into bodybuilding, which then went into powerlifting, which then went into yoga, that then came back to powerlifting. And then those two kind of just like intertwine really nicely now.
0: Yeah. So when you speak about the different chapters and the different living spaces, what, like, what do those represent to you? So like you lived in, was it, it was in Newcastle. Is that where your family are?
1: Yeah. So I grew up, yeah, on the central coast. Um, And I was the, like, I went, yeah, lived in the same house until I was 17 I moved to Queensland when I was 17 and I stayed there for three years. Then I came back to the coast for two years and then now I've been in Melbourne for four.
0: Yep. And so how has your training changed throughout those moves?
1: A lot. (laughs) Um, So yeah, when I moved to Queensland, Queensland was the first move and that was, I think, I was going to say it was like the most powerful shift, but I don't think it was. Like, I think they've all like been really, really powerful and had their own purposes. But I guess I was in like a pretty dark space when I first moved to Queensland, like I had pretty disordered eating habits and things like that. And moving to Queensland just like completely pulled me out of, I guess, this comfort zone I had that wasn't really so comfortable. It was just like this like nasty mess of circumstances. And it really pulled me out of that and sort of, sort of, sort of shook things up, which then I guess, yeah, like spurred my education. You know, I started uni, I got more involved in the fitness industry. I, yeah, that shifted things a lot. And it's easy to say like, you know, I gained the weight then and I, you know, I got physically healthy, but I would say that, you know, the move to Melbourne all those years later was like probably even more powerful in like the psychological shifts that occurred at that space. So while like the physical body or the physical circumstances didn't change so much, it was like internally so much has shifted in that time.
0: And when you were in Queensland, is that when you first got into bodybuilding?
1: Yeah, correct. So I mean, I'd been going to the gym for a few years prior to that, but I had no idea what I was doing. Like, I'm pretty sure it was like a cable machine circuit, three sets of eight to 12 on everything, rinse and repeat for three years. So I got more involved in bodybuilding when I moved to Queensland. I started, like, I will say training properly. You know, I had a PT and, you know, I learned how to use a barbell. Like, I got a little bit more informed. And I did enroll to do my Cert 3-4 while I was up there. So that was when I first started studying and I guess sort of exploring like a career in the industry. Um, and it was through that that I discovered bodybuilding, um, which I did two seasons of over the ages of like 21 to 22.
0: Yeah. How were those seasons for you? I remember reading something like on your blog that the first one was amazing and then the second one, not so much. And I feel like I had the same experience like between comps. The first one, I was like, yeah, cool. And then the second one, I was like, this ain't it.
1: Yeah, they were so different. So yeah, the first year was in Queensland. I had like no commitments realistically. You know, I was single. I lived with a roommate. I had, you know, a couple of jobs, but they were like, you know, making coffee or whatever. Like it was pretty low, low key. Um, so I mean, I could like, you know, train, you know, say nine sessions a week. I could have no energy whatsoever because of the diet. You know, I could go through all these things and it really didn't affect anyone. Like, it's like my career was suffering. I wasn't studying. My education wasn't suffering. My relationships weren't affected. I could just pour myself into it. So I really enjoyed the whole process. It was like really quite social. Bodybuilding is really big on the Gold Coast. Um, Yeah, it was really social. It was really positive. And I would say that even standing on the stage in that first year, that was a really empowering experience. Like from someone who like kind of hid my body away for a long time to get up there and like strut around and like I felt beautiful you know I felt really amazing that was really positive yeah the whole experience the lead up in the day of was just amazing and I loved every moment of it so like I'm not surprised that I wanted to rush back and do it again but yeah in the few months following maybe two to three months following I put on about 15 kilos in that time which I'll talk about more because I have a really different view of that now than I did at the time it was like a really exciting few months I was that was when I was moving back to the Central Coast, so. There was a lot of kind of like partying and stuff, saying goodbye as I moved. And then within a couple of weeks, it was like I moved home. I went to Melbourne for New Year's. There was Christmas in there. I went to Thailand and backpacked for three weeks. Like it was this crazy few months. So, you know, the fact that I'd been dieting for like, you know, four months or whatever in the lead up and was super, super lean, and I just wanted to eat everything in sight couple of environments that were just like super fun and like I wanted to be involved in I guess it was just like a bit of a perfect storm for a rebound and at the time obviously it was really hard to deal with I'd gone from you know I put on 15 kilos in a couple of months and almost 30 kilos across three years so it's like no surprise that at the time I perceived that to be so negative. Whereas in hindsight, it's kind of like there were some of the best months of my life, you know, it was so much fun. And I've managed to reverse that all anyway. So like, what did it really matter? So I have really conflicting views on that from then to now. But it did position me pretty awfully to then start another bikini season. My body image was destroyed. And so I had a coach who was helping me with my cart. And it was like every week, taking photos every week, doing calipers. And it was just so confronting like having my fat pinch seeing my photo like it was just i would cry every week it was so uncomfortable so the experience was really bad at the same time i'd gone back to uni i was running a gym um so you know i was falling asleep in the library i was falling asleep in lectures you know i definitely wasn't showing up at my desk for work um i was living with my family i can't say i was very nice when i got home you know i'd get home be like please don't talk to me i'm exhausted so it was like i was just a shit person you know like it just It didn't feel good at the time. It doesn't feel good looking back on it. And then when I got to the stage, it was just not anything like the same experience. Like, yeah, it was nice to get my makeup done. I had a beautiful bikini. I was probably in better shape, but, you know, and I placed better, but it was not the excitement or the thrill or anything of the previous year. It was just like a, I'm glad that's done. Like I was just happy to have it over with. It was just a completely different experience.
0: Yeah. And did that coincide with that period of burnout?
1: Yeah, it was like, you know, I was getting up at, say, 3 or 4 a.m. to go to the gym, working from, say, 6 till 9, going to uni from, like, 9.30 to 4.30, working from 5 till 8, you know, repeat every day. Like, it was just a lot.
0: And I think at the moment as well, like, when you think about people doing bodybuilding preps now, it's so rare to find... A lot of people who are so invested in it also have like such minimal like responsibilities where I feel like people really thrive in a bodybuilding prep when those responsibilities are quite low. So it is definitely harder to navigate that prep that is so time consuming and so it does require a lot of energy at the end of the day to then have to manage a relationship, manage something like a career, manage a job kind of thing. So like all these things combined definitely makes it that prep itself a way harder.
1: Yeah, I I agree completely. And I think it's really important in knowing the demands that it places on you and how that fits into your value system like when I didn't have education or career pursuits, it was like, sure, like bodybuilding could have all my time and attention. That was fine. But then when I did have career goals and I had education goals and I had people around me that I loved, it's like, you know, I, I value those things way higher than my physique goals. So it just, it didn't feel good where, yeah, maybe that second year, maybe I could have had the body image hang up, but not had those, um case. So I think it's like, yeah, how overwhelming schedule and how it fits into the whole picture of your life. It doesn't exist in a vacuum. It like infiltrates everything when it's food, training, and hours and hours of your time.
0: Yeah, definitely. We've had a few people mention in the past couple of podcasts, like, and I think it's so relevant to many, many, many things in our life. Is like using like a zoom out method, and so not looking at something as like an individual thing, like zooming out and having a look at all of these aspects of your life.
1: Yeah, for sure. And it's like. I think a a really common error in like the pursuit of any like sort of training or body change endeavor. It's like, yeah, it doesn't exist on its own. It's easy to be like, Oh yeah, you know, I'll drop 10 kilos. I can just do this. That's something that I can do. But like, how does that affect your work? How does that affect your family life? How does that affect your travel? How does that affect your finances? It's like they all interweave and it's just ignorant and like really setting yourself up for success to think that, yeah, your training goals sit like separately from those things. It, it's so involved. It's not just the one hour day you're in the gym. It's like it, it feeds into everything. So, yeah, Zoom in that bigger picture is like six an amazing sleep clash and then find the solution to see if it actually even works. If it does work, great. Implement those methods. And if it doesn't work, perhaps that goal is not appropriate right now
0: hundred percent. And so you just mentioned before how your body image changed after that first comp. And then you had that period of rebounding and how it was a bit harder in that second bodybuilding prep to deal with things such as like the skin fold measurements, et cetera, like weighing yourself. How did that change for you after that second competition as well? There's like a few, like, I guess, phases to my response to that question. So it was in that second season
1: that I was introduced to powerlifting, um, which definitely had a really, really positive effect at the time. You know, I remember going into the gym into like a really baggy T-shirt kind of, you know, feeling really shit in my body. Um, And then like exploring my strength, I guess. And, you know, early on in my training career, it was really easy to hit a PB. So it's like I could have a crap day, walk into the gym and, you know, deadlift something stupid. And I pretty much walked off the stage and was like, right, powerlifting, like how do I start? So yeah, powerlifting sort of provided like an immediate sort of some degree of remedy to my body image woes. Um, But then I did sort of find that instead of tying my self-worth and my self-esteem to my weight or my aesthetics, I just started tying it to my powerlifting performance. So it was like, I just went from like one metric to another, which turned out to be a really slippery slope. Um, and I would say that the body image sort of like real improvement didn't come till many years later when I really pulled myself away from sort of much involvement in the fitness industry at all. If I'm honest, you know, I obviously took a few years off competing. I stepped into a managerial role for a few years, so I didn't sort of feel that pressure. You can sometimes feel to fit the mold as a coach. Yeah. I just removed myself from it. And I think that that was incredibly beneficial even just down to little things like, you know, stopping tracking my macros, giving myself more food for eating, that kind of thing. It was like this whole like event of just removing myself from it completely and then introducing myself back in much later in like, I guess, a more mindful way.
0: Yeah, I think it's really interesting that you say that you kind of went from one thing and then you just replaced it with another because I do think that is very common when people have, and like I'm t- I'm literally including myself in this conversation here, is when say we attach ourselves to one metric and it's often just replaced by another thing and I definitely feel you on that in terms of I jumped from both in terms of same, same story as you, like scale weight, bodybuilding and then jumping right in and then going powerlifting and although this thing may have a lot of positive change in my life. I still was attaching a lot of my self-worth and my contribution to the world based on my performance goals and how I was actually going on that performance level. And similar to what you were saying there, it only really got better once I took a whole year off, like a year and a half really off competing, took a step back and took that time to kind of reassess everything. And that's when I feel like I actually kind of got to that body neutral stage as well, um, tying into that, that body image conversation.
1: Yeah. And I think it's like, I think it's kind of important to note here that it's not that aesthetic goals on their own are inherently bad or that training goals on their own are inherently bad. I think it's just dangerous to try yourself worth to one thing, no matter what that thing is. Like it could be career, it could be your role as a partner, it could be anything. If you're tying every part of your value to just one thing, it's like, it's very easy to lose that one thing, whether it's yeah, through injury, whether it's through illness, whether it's through whatever, like it's very easy to lose that thing. So I think like, probably like the biggest thing for me was sort of seeing where my value fit into everything. You know, I'm a good partner. I'm a good friend. Um, I have interesting hobbies, you know, I have all these different things going for me. So that way, when, you know, you put up a shitty total or, you know, you gain some weight over Christmas, like it doesn't matter because I have all these other things going for me that make me feel good. Even when one part of the puzzle isn't optimal.
0: Yeah. And when you kind of came to that realization, was that when you were in Melbourne? Yeah, yeah.
1: So it was like, yeah, Melbourne's been a journey. Um, It's been really, um, a really powerful few years, I think. I mentioned at the start, like whenever I change my physical space, I always have this like emotional, like relocation as well. Um, So I know when I moved to Melbourne, I had these like very, very clear goals of like things I wanted to change when I moved here. And so one of those things was like, I wanted to stop counting macros. It was like, I'm crossing the border and I'm gonna stop doing that. And I'm going to have a break from powerlifting and I'm going to start CrossFit. And that was like, it was like immediate. Like I literally crossed the board to deleted my fitness pal and I trialed at a CrossFit gym like the next day. It was like, I'm doing this thing. So that was really helpful because like, obviously I sucked at CrossFit. Like I've never done anything like that in my life. So it was like, you know, on the day that we did squats, everyone was like, mm, this chick's pretty strong. And then like the next day it was like, you know, something gymnastic or a handstand push up. And I was like, I can't even handstand against a wall, you know? So um, it was very, very humbling. And i also found melbourne really comforting i guess it's not melbourne it's just the environments i was involved in but i guess i came from you know i owned and operated a women's only gym where definitely with where i was in my life at the time i felt a lot of pressure to look a certain way so then coming to melbourne where it's like this grungy crossfit gym it was the middle of winter everyone is like lay it up so it was like nobody saw my body at all so like that was like really comforting because it was like oh like i'm gonna enjoy the melbourne food scene no one's gonna see me anyway um so I found a lot of sort of relief from that and as I said like yeah at the same time like separating myself from the industry in there as well so it was just like a lot of things happening at the same time and then I know we'll get to this later but it was like yeah then I did discover yoga as well which um has been a vessel for like a lot of changes I guess like in facilitating like a lot more introspection and getting to know myself better it was like I could work through a lot of these hang-ups that I guess I was still holding on to from like high school and that it kind of, you know, carried on through my life.
0: I would love to talk about the yoga aspect now because I think it's, it's really powerful to read how you view yoga and how it's impacted your life. Yeah, if you just want to kind of go into that, how you found it and maybe a bit about why you kind of went into it as well.
1: Yeah. Um, I think there's a lot of misconceptions about yoga that like I would love if they were broken down. <laughs> um, I certainly found yoga from like yeah a more ignorant standpoint I was just curious that it would help me be more flexible and I recover better from training I think as a lot of people do come into yoga from the fitness industry so I was interested in dabbling with it a lot but the people I had around me at the time were really quite critical of it you know I got put down a lot for being this like woo woo hippie and you know how dare I go to yoga and drink kombucha like how white as I'm literally me, you know? like I felt kombucha. really kind of put down around it <laughs> yeah crystals on my desk you know like I got really put down for like I guess embracing that side of me so I I think I wanted to involve myself in yoga much more early on but I didn't feel safe to with the circle that I had at the time so I did start yoga I guess a bit more intentionally in I guess a bit of a dark time in my life I had a relationship breakdown and um, I was living alone for the first time in a long time and to be honest, I started going a lot more because it just put off going home a little longer. Like I didn't want to be alone. I didn't know how to be alone. Um, and if I could go do two classes of the night time, it meant I didn't get home till nine and then I could go to sleep. So it was like maybe a bit of a coping mechanism, but it also just became like a bit of a safe refuge for me to deal with the emotions I was working through. Um, the studio that I joined, you know, the teachers were fantastic and they were so comforting you know i'd finish each class and i just curled my mat and cry um and i felt really safe to do that you know there was most of them didn't challenge me at all they just let me be and there was like this one teacher that would just like get in my head you know like she'd see me crying and she's like right like we're working through this right now you know so it was a really good balance between you know one day i'd just be given space and the next day is like right billy like we're challenging something so yeah it was really powerful and I guess that kind of inspired me to start studying yoga because I was like, what is this witchcraft? Like, what is it about like coming in here, breathing, making some weird shapes that like makes me like release all this that like enables me to like understand what's going on in my mind and provide this release that I so desperately need. Um, and you know, I think when you do have a good teacher, like they crack your mind wide open and they just like allow you to see things like that zoom out that we spoke about, like it just allows you to see things so much more clearly. So yeah, I think it really sort of facilitated more introspection and got me to know myself better so I could deal through the shit that was kind of, I guess, affecting me so much. And it's kind of, I guess my, my connection to yoga and my relationship with yoga has like evolved a lot over the years. Where early on, like it was a lot more about me and connecting inward. It's like now yoga for me is more like connecting with the people around me, pre-COVID anyway. Like, you know, I love going to a studio and I much prefer practicing in a studio space because I love this opportunity to connect with the people in the room. And I don't like, like we spoke about before, like I don't like holding conversations. I find them pretty exhausting. So the fact that I can be in a room and I can move with people and breathe with people and I feel so like connected to this community and I haven't had to say a word. I haven't had to, you know, I haven't had to really step out of my comfort zone, you know. i have just like I'm on my mat and I feel like, you know, we're here together <laughs> Like, and that's, you know, that's like just really really. Yeah, I don't know. I think it's just been really beautiful. And like that connection that I get in a yoga room is just something that I don't get anywhere else.
0: And did you find that the first time you went there, having that emotional release, did that just start uh, like this kind of trajectory in your life to kind of start looking inward?
1: Yes, 100%. And it's like, I don't know. I feel like these conversations, I can never do them justice. It's like, you know, what happened over the last few years that made you go from this like, you know, messy situation you were in then to this, like, more, like, light thing that I'm in now. And, yeah, it's, like, yoga might have just been a catalyst, but it certainly did, like, start, as you say, this whole trajectory of, like, self-inquiry and I wanted to learn more and I read more. And, you know, I attended this course and this workshop and I spoke to that person, which enabled this connection. It just, like, snowballed into, like, yeah, I guess this whole, like, unveiling, I guess. Um, But certainly, like, it did, like... I would say it was the major catalyst of, like, getting to know myself better, quote unquote.
0: Yeah, I think even what you said about, you know, your teachers just being able to just witness you in that state that you're in, no matter if that was emotional, if that was not emotional for the day, whatever it is, but for whoever to be in that space to just accept it, I feel is such a positive thing to have in your life regardless of where someone gets that if that's yoga if that is in say a lifting environment i think there's so many ways for someone to hold that space for you and i do think it absolutely does serve as like a catalyst for you to be okay being in that state maybe by yourself too yeah
1: for sure and it's like yeah well i like derived all these experiences from yoga i think there's many different places and environments that can have the same effect on you if you seek it um yeah I think and I think that powerlifting and yoga can seem really different but like any of the benefits I got from yoga you could get from lifting or you could get from hiking or you know you can get from anywhere where you have like the right mode that like can challenge you and also the right people in that environment to like pull that stuff out
0: yeah i find that i have this conversation with people about like meditation and i think people's first go-to when um they're either like starting like a journey of looking more inward or even just looking away for a way to just literally de-stress and unwind and people's first go-to is meditation but i had never clicked with meditation for example and i clicked more with hiking and being outdoors and being near the water and so that to me is like a form of meditation and so i think it's like a nice reminder for people to, if there is something that isn't working, isn't feeling like meditative to you, there is something else there. It doesn't have to be the meditation or the, or even yoga really, like the, whatever people kind of put on you there.
1: Yeah, for sure. I think meditation is like, yeah, really widely understood as misunderstood as well. And it's like, yeah, many things can provide meditative experiences and can provide the same benefits. You don't need to be sitting at home alone on a cushion. Like that doesn't sit well for everyone. And like, yeah, sure, while we could all probably improve at that if we stuck with it, some people don't want to stick with it and that's fine. Like I don't particularly like resonate with meditation, you know, in its traditional form um, myself. But if you can put me on a yoga mat and allow me to move around while I do it, like that feels great for me. And there's some days I don't even want to do that and I'd rather just sit in my backyard, you know, quietly with a book, you know, or with a coffee and that can provide the same benefit. Like we don't need to like pigeonhole it and be like either you have your headspace app and you sit down quietly or you don't do it at all. Like I don't think that's the case at all. It's just like desperately misunderstood.
0: For sure. Do you think that uh, a lot of the benefit that you got from yoga and from that practice is just sitting still and being in one spot?
1: Yes. I think it's being okay with an empty mind and also being okay with a mind that's not empty, but you don't wrestle with it. It's like not so much being still, but yeah, being okay with boredom, being okay to like not have a distraction and dealing with what's in your mind. Like I think we are stimulated a lot and therefore like the things that are bothering us like more deeply we don't even get to deal with them we don't even get to recognize them because we don't give them the time of day so i think yoga is just a means of making you go right no distractions for the next hour deal with whatever you've got going on um as opposed to like no i'm just going to pick up my phone and you know find a distraction elsewhere so i think yeah i think that yoga's definitely given that to me and as we've said before there's many ways of finding that but a lot of people yeah, it's uncomfortable, you know, it's uncomfortable to be bored. It's uncomfortable to not have a distraction. And like, quite frankly, it's like, we don't even know how to do it. Like we're just so quick to find another distraction. We don't like it. But I think there's a lot to be said about allowing yourself to have that sort of blank mental space. Um, Whether it's, you know, inspiring creativity or yeah, dealing with some baggage or like, yeah, coming up with a solution to a problem or even just like allowing yourself to sleep at night because you haven't been distracted all day and those thoughts aren't running to you when your head hits the pillow. It's like just giving yourself that space that we don't often get. Mm,
0: for sure. And I think it's very easy in today's world to fill up our space to, and also to feel like we should be filling up our space as well. That was like something that I really had to kind of stop doing. And start like actually like prioritizing some time like with myself and like just like of time to just do nothing because I think it is really common now. I think like especially with like a lot of like my like my female friends of like just trying to fill up their entire diary and you just really don't get that opportunity to just like sit or like deal with anything and then you kind of reach a point where it's like nope this is enough. And now you have to deal with all of this stuff all at once, as opposed to like picking up little things here and there, when you do have that time to take a moment to be like, what am I thinking? Like, how am I feeling? There's this part in, I don't know if you've read the book. Um, it's called Love Warrior. It's by Glennon Doyle. She essentially, um, she goes to hot yoga for the first time and she has no idea of what this is. And she actually doesn't realize it's like hot, like hot yoga. Cause I feel like I don't know. I I think like if you know you're going to hot yoga, cool, no worries. But if I walked into a room, that room is hot. Like (laughs) you are sweating from the moment you start doing like a first move, even like an arm up. It's like you are just drenched in sweat. And so she explains that experience for her. And it's like the instructor was saying, okay, we'll set your intentions for this session. And so everyone's saying like all these things. And she's like, my intention is just to sit on this mat. Like, I just want to get through like this, this entire amount. And she said the same thing, like ended up in tears kind of thing. And it's because she actually allowed herself to have that moment to just sit and everything comes.
1: Yeah, for sure. And I think like what you were saying before about like filling our sc- schedules and stuff, it's like even the time that we give ourselves to sit is still filled with distraction. Like, you know, I love watching suits, right? It's great. But, like, that's not time that I'm mindful, you know. That's time that I just am, like, you know, taking in fake American law, you know.
0: <laughs> um, it's not exactly this. Yeah, or selling Sunset for anyone who um, watched the entire season in 12 hours. I I also did this, but.
1: <laughs> it's on my to-watch list. Um, but, yeah, it's, like, it's not the same thing, you know. Like, there's still input. I have um something that I've really, like, mm. um, found myself – I guess doing more intentionally recently, is like giving myself more time to like consolidate ideas. I feel like, and I reckon you'll resonate with this a lot. It's like, you know, I love reading. So I read a lot and then I'm working, which is input all the time. Okay. How am I going to solve this problem? What's the solution here? And then I go for a walk to have a break to like calm my mind. And I listen to a podcast and like, there's just like input all the time. And it's like, I feel like, you know, from 101 productivity books, we're told, like, how to get the most out of your time? But, like, what is all that input worth if there's never any opportunity to consolidate those ideas or see how they affect one another or how you could combine all of that input to create a better outcome? Because we don't give ourselves any space to do that. So, like, something I've been doing more recently is, like, this is going to sound so simple and my mom will be like, really? But, like... Cooking dinner without a podcast or going for a walk without a podcast or, you know, just like doing some craft with like nothing but gentle music on. So there's just like opportunity to consolidate or When I finished a book, take a few days before starting another one before jamming more information down your throat like Yeah, I feel like we just get so much going in and there's no time to make sense of it, which just makes for like a really, really busy brain. But I'd argue that it's also like super unproductive because we can never access the information we've taken in
0: anyway. I 100% am guilty of this. Like when you say you'll probably resonate with this, as soon as you're like, go for a walk and pop on a podcast. I was like, same. (laughs) Like we don't even realize, but that to me is like technically that it could be a form of relaxation. However, I'm still learning in that time that I'm listening to the podcast. So, like you said, it, it's yes. still input. So, it's not actually time to, like you said, consolidate or even just like think because now I'm like, oh, I'm just going for a relaxing walk and pop on a podcast without realizing, like, yeah, that's still something.
1: Yeah, it can be relaxing. Like, I'm not arguing that it's like not relaxing. It's just still adding to the mental load.
0: Yeah. Yeah. 100%. 100%. When you went through that whole, inward journey in Melbourne how was there like a moment for you where you went I really like myself and I'm really glad I kind of got myself to this point where I can be alone on a Friday night yes and I reckon there's been like
1: 10 of those moments where it's like oh no this is better than it was before um I'll go nitty-gritty so I yeah so I started working I started living by myself in 2017 and that was like gloomy like the period was really gloomy so I was working with a psych at the time and I feel like she went against like what I understood all psychs should do maybe that's just as just maybe this is just my misunderstanding of psychology but she gave me like really tangible steps like okay this is your homework so like I feel like where most psychs are like you know you need to find the positives in your job she was like nah girl quit your job like she was so like direct Anyway, so one thing that we really identified was that I'd get really bad anxiety on Friday nights and it stemmed from the fact that I was really unhappy in my job. So I kind of lived for the weekend, but then it would get to the weekend and I didn't really have anything going on. So it just was like more time to be alone. And since I'd put off being alone all week by going to yoga every night for two hours, it was like, you know, Friday night was just like, you know, a big fall um so that was when you know I started like doing and gardening and all these kind of things because it was just things that I could do on my own and be really happy in my own company and so like the first like thing that I remember is like the first Friday night that I stayed home and I like didn't cry it was such a big deal and it's so funny John Paul and I were like newly dating and like I remember him saying like oh hey I'll come around and I was like no no like this is my first Friday night that I'm doing this thing you know (laughs) <laughs> I was really adamant that like tonight's the night I'm turning it around and so that's like a really really clear like memory but then like you know I feel like there's been so many different like milestones that I can reflect on where I can see things that just like spun around like you know the day that you know I launched my website and started working for myself again you know after like three years of being employed again and even more recently, like this is going to seem so silly, but like you know, very recently I stopped fake tanning, and it was like that's like whoa, like this feels really, really good. So I feel like there's never a finish line. Like I feel like there'll never be a day where actually this is complete lie. I feel like every time I'll feel like I'm done now. You know, my work's done. I'm a finished product. I feel so good in my skin, and then like something else will happen, and I'll be like, whoa, I feel even better. <laughs> so I think that. Yeah, we can always like think that we're done and without even trying it's like there's just like more to find
0: Yeah, I love moments like that Like when you go through something and then you have like because I even have some very different scenario But I just remember so clearly like going through this thing and then having that same thing happen and having a completely different response And it was like a response of like Oh, I don't care And I was like, "Holy shit!" Like like, (laughs) I don't care. Like Aladdin and Jasmine, like a whole new world. (laughs) Yeah. It was like I was on that magic carpet. I was like, "Holy shit!" Like this is so different. Like, and I'm so proud to be here. But then there's been moments where I've kind of gone back and then gone back forward and then gone back and then gone back forward. So I think it's like allowing yourself even the space when you go through something. That is, you know, about finding yourself and like having that inward journey to kind of like ebb and flow as well between those moments. Yeah, and not criticising yourself when you're on like,
1: yeah, if you do go through a lower period of those ebbs and flows, like just kind of accepting that that's just part of it.
0: Yeah. Do you find that you do a lot of this work or try to kind of plant a lot of these seeds for the women that you work with? Definitely, yeah.
1: I think that yeah, we spoke a bit before about like, yeah, the responsibilities of yeah, coaching, I guess. It's like, I'm excited to go down this path. I think I take a lot of pride in my work that I do have these conversations and I do plant these seeds in coaching. It's really easy to say, oh yeah, I'm a powerlifting coach. You know, I teach the squat bench press and deadlift, but like the the satisfaction and the reward doesn't come from adding a few kilos to the bar. The satisfaction and reward come from the lessons that you learn in the process of that. And I feel like, well, it's not my responsibility to create those experiences. If I can just plant a couple of seeds along the way to somewhat cultivate it, then I think that's really, really rewarding.
0: If you have a coach, like for anyone listening who is planting those seeds, you probably won't realize it until after you have those moments. But there are so many coaches out there, like for every bad coach that gets a bad rap on Instagram or whatever it is, there at the moment are such like really good coaches out there who are looking at things like holistically, like they care about like your entire life kind of thing. And I think that's just, it's so nice to hear other coaches look at things that way and be planting those seeds for their clients to have those moments.
1: Yeah. And I think like the most beautiful and wonderful part of coaches like that is you don't even realize that they're doing it. It's like much later, you're like, huh, that wasn't an accident. (laughs)
0: 100%. And that can go for many different things. Like even if we're talking about like body image or even just like platform mindset or how you're kind of approaching the bar, like a lot of these things are like really long term things. And so when you work with coaches for like those coaches, for example, like on that long term basis. I'm sure if those people like looked back to like two years ago or like three years ago from when they started with that coach, there'd be so much change in their overall life, not just for the thing that they actually contacted that person for initially.
1: Yeah, I can see that so much. And like, yeah, I experienced that as someone who is coached as well, you know, like it's like one thing, yeah, for like me to achieve the things that I've hired my coach to help me achieve but there's like all the things that happen on the side of that. Like, I think, yeah, we can have a really narrow view of what coaching is and like, sure. Like if you look at coaching in terms of like a very clear definition, it's like, yes, prescribe this, provide feedback on that, so on and so forth. But I think as a client, it's really important to kind of seek those things out from your coach as well. You need to be, able to receive them as well.
0: You work a lot with nutrition clients at the moment too, right? Like, do you usually do like powerlifting and nutrition? Like, do you usually see people for both?
1: Uh, Often, yes. A lot of the times, John Paul and I will work as a team as well. So he might coach them for powerlifting and I'll do the nutrition. So we kind of work collaboratively there a lot as well.
0: Yeah, cool. And when you do that, especially coming from your background, I just think this is such a Interesting conversation to have with people in this space. Like, coming from your background and having those issues with body image, how do you navigate that with your nutrition clients?
1: I think, like, the most important thing is to serve the person you have in front of you. And it's really easy to go, Oh, you have aesthetic goals. Okay, you're a bad person. Diet culture is bad. You're perpetuating diet culture. And I just think that is so ignorant. I think it's really, really unfair to put someone under a blanket and say, you know, you can't do these things because yeah, you're exacerbating a problem. So I think that's the most important thing. I think, yeah, really critically understanding the motivators of the individual and then working with those. If someone comes to me and they have, you know, a strong body image, they have strong self-esteem, they understand, they have very clear goals and they understand how that will or won't affect their quality of life, their psychology, that kind of thing then like you're in a position to, you know, kind of dive straight in and just monitor the process as you go. But if someone comes to you and it's like, you know, I want to move down a weight class or I want to change, I want to lose weight so I feel better about myself or, you know, to achieve something that they may or may not achieve by changing their body weight, then I think there's a lot of background work that needs to be done there to like, yeah, I guess bring up the areas that need attention, be it, yeah, like a poor self image or something. Um, But also a lot of education around like reasonable expectations of what this goal will do for you
0: yeah i think in that space as well like we can all agree diet culture is bad like i don't think anyone is going yes we loved we love diet culture kind of thing even if like i have those opinions say like i don't love diet culture i can see how diet culture has impacted many things in my life and negatively for example but it's not my job to get someone to that point of the journey because the reality of it is that it's taken me, how old am I now? 25. So since I was like, literally since I was 12, it's taken me that long. You know what I mean? So it's been like such a long time. And it's like, you can't just pick someone up who is in the middle of that journey for themselves and then pop them at the end or pop them somewhere where you think they should be like i've only recently have one of i had one of my clients and i've been working with her for a couple of years and so we've done some we've done some cuts like we've done some reverse it like all of it kind of thing and she's gotten to the point now where she's like will this ever end kind of thing like i'm just really thinking about like you know the ways that this has all this this has also impacted my life like will there ever be a point where i don't want to diet kind of thing and it's like me as a coach could never have gotten her to that point no matter how much of like the education part like it has to be someone's own journey to get to that point
1: absolutely it's like yeah i think for all of us we need to hear the right thing at the right time and we might need to hear 1000 different things before we hear that one thing that makes the difference and it's like as a coach we can only kind of feed into that like I've had clients that have said to me, Hey, Billy, I'm thinking about doing a bikini comp. What do you reckon? And I'll give my very honest opinion on that. Um, and I'll be like, you know what? You're right. I'm going to do powerlifting. And it'll be like, you know, instantaneous like that. But like realistically for the majority of people, it's like, okay, Billy, I really hear you. I know you say that I need to work on my body image, but I really think that losing weight is going to help. And it's like, that, yeah, like I can certainly contribute to helping the work through that. But yeah, there is like so much work that they need to do as well. And yeah, I think that we can have a lot of pressure on ourselves as coaches to like provide the solution and to like quote unquote fix that. But like it's just a really, I think it's a really unrealistic expectation of ourselves. I remember reading something online. It might have been Roisin Hawley. I think she said something along the lines of, you know, a lot of coaches, when they ask why they do what they do, it's like they say, you know i just want to stop any if i can just stop one person from going through what i went through then i've done my job but like the fact of the matter is that a lot of people probably need to go through it in order to understand and have the insights that were found and you kind of like for a lot of i think a lot of the time you can't just skip it i think there's some people that yeah given the right information at the right time you can but i think a lot of the, in
0: a lot of the cases
1: sometimes we just need to learn things the hard way
0: i think in that situation as well like as a coach I, for example, like I, when I did bodybuilding and I've had lots of people ask me like, should I do a comp and, you know, would you ever do it again? And I will respond honestly, but it's still from my experience. And I make a point to say that this is my experience. This is what I personally went through. But I also make a point to say like, I already had a disordered eating background. And so if you don't come from that place, your experience might be completely opposite of what my experience was. And I think that's a part of being a responsible coach is understanding that like your experience with something shouldn't dictate what you should be saying to your clients. For example, I think that kind of has to be more of like a neutral ground and a use of my experience and making sure that we're not impacting them from something that might actually serve them.
1: Yeah. I, yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think that's hundred percent correct. And like, yeah, I think I'm very similar to you in that, like my disordered eating behaviors were already there. Like my poor body image was already there. I can't blame bodybuilding for that. Like I, I brought that to that myself. Um, and yeah, I think it's like, yeah, really important to like, not only sell to them, the negatives of any experience, but also the positives, you know, like I can look at bodybuilding and say, you know, there's plenty of good things it did to me. Like, you know, I learned so much and, you know, I learned a lot about like how hard I can push myself and all these different things. Again, these are my experiences. You could have very similar ones. You could have all these positives and none of the negatives, or you could have all the negatives and none of the positives. Yeah.
0: Yeah. A hundred percent. Just before we start wrapping up, is there anything that, if you had someone who is just starting on their fitness journey, or even from a nutrition standpoint, is there anything that you would say to them to take into consideration? A lot of things. If we go, okay, I'll try and narrow down. I think like
1: most importantly, like know your values and make sure that you're making decisions that align with them. If you have you know, weight loss goals or something, but they're gonna come at the detriment of your education, your career, your family, like you really need to think about that. It doesn't occur in a vacuum. They all interrelease. If you're gonna be in the gym, have performance goals, like don't tie everything to your appearance, like have some goals that challenge your body, let you see what it does, like not just what it looks like. I think that's, can't be emphasized enough. And on the nutrition front, like learn about nutrition, hire a trusted professional and like learn about it you know getting an education
0: around nutrition and
1: exercise can be really really freeing
0: and what does i mean i know you guys are in lockdown at the moment so what are some things that you've been doing to kind of help navigate that time because i know a lot of people like listen to the podcast in melbourne as well so who are kind of currently going through it too
1: um i think i've had to
0: find like really like
1: Projects that I can do at home that are still meaningful to me. It's like our days can be really void of meaning because they can feel like they just blur into each other a lot. So I think like little mini projects that feel like I'm making progress in my life within the confines of my house has been really helpful. Um, you know, I've been reading a lot. I've been writing a lot and that feels really meaningful to me. Um, I've, you know, I've been like trying to learn a language and these kind of things. And just by like doing things that, make me feel like I've accomplished something at the end of the day it feels really, really good. So I feel like, yeah, find something that you can derive meaning from, even if it's just like growing a pot plant or something, like just something that gives you some purpose to your day and gives you like some sense of satisfaction when you go to sleep at night. I think that's really, really important. And
0: where can people find you?
1: Um, I'm most active on Instagram, just at Billy Asprey or my website is www.billyasprey.com. And I assume you'll provide the spelling.
0: Yes, and you do a lot of blog posts on there. So when I contacted you, I wanted obviously to make sure that I was across everything as much as I could be. And so I did a bit of a deep dive into your blog. And a lot of the things that we've spoken about, you actually go into a lot of detail in your website in your blog post so if anyone is really interested about anything that we have spoken about definitely head to billy's website which will be linked in the show notes anyways um because there's probably a blog about it
1: (laughs) and more coming because i'm still in lockdown
0: And that wraps up today's episode, guys. I hope you enjoyed my chat with Billy. As I mentioned at the beginning, you can find all her links in the show notes, including her Instagram and including her website as well. You can find me on Instagram at Beyonce and you can find us, Women's Strength Collective, the brand at Women's Strength Collective 2020 on Instagram too. I'll see you guys next time.